This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by 23andMe.com. With 23andMe's genetic service, you can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, or Africa. Visit 23andMe.com slash fool. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. It's Monday, October 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Yeah. To you as well. Just a couple weeks from Halloween. Everybody got their costumes? Not yet. <laughs> I already got my feet. I already got the obligatory 20-pound bag of candy in the house. Oh. I snuck that one into it. It was like a total last second going through the grocery store getting stuff for dinner. And I, I see this just aisle of candy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go home and surprise the kids and the wife. They've all got the big sweet teeth. Man, I showed up with that bag. Guess who was the hero? <laughs> Over under on the got pounds it. left by Halloween. Now it's a twenty pound bag. <laughs> a little bit of something in there for everybody. Come Halloween, <laughs> yeah, maybe like a fifteen. Oh, it's bag. already down to about eighteen. Uh, boy, we love when the news fairy shows up, and we're going to get to retail, and we're going to get to Spotify's impending IPO. But we got to start with NRD Capital. A private equity firm based in Atlanta, which made shareholders of Ruby Tuesday happy this morning. NRD Capital is buying Ruby Tuesday at a 20% premium of where the stock was on Friday. And even, I think it says something about the state of Ruby Tuesday's business that even with this buy, even with the pop today, Year to date, the stock is still down twenty six percent. Yeah, I mean, I think I, there there's a lot to unpack here. I think the big hurdle, though, that no matter who owns it, I think the big hurdle for Ruby Tuesday is that it's not really a name. I think that resonates with consumers today as it did perhaps twenty years mm-hmm. ago or something. I, I was thinking about this when I was reading this this headline today. I think that the last time I actually set foot in a Ruby Tuesday that I can recall was December twenty eighth, two thousand and one. Now, Jason, wow. you ask, okay. why do you know that to <laughs> yeah. the date? The reason why I know the it credit to the card d- statements. We got married on December 29th, and on December 28th, the evening of, we went to Ruby Tuesday um, late night just for some drinks and, and camaraderie. It and it was yeah, open. There you go. And, and I, I think that was the last time I've been there. I don't recall uh, going back since, but I mean, when you, when you look at the numbers, it just is not painting a very good picture. I mean, the, the Purchase here, it's about 146 million in cash. Assuming the debt, you've got an enterprise value of around 360 million. That's less than six hundred thousand dollars per store. Maybe one sort of light at the end of the tunnel here is that they do own the land and building for 269 of those, I think, 700 restaurants. So perhaps there is some value there. But but regardless, I mean, a look at the financials tells you it's been a very tough go of it for these guys uh, since since really. The last ten years, I think. Yeah, well, you got NRD. They're supposedly a specialist. Or they consider themselves specialist in the franchisee model. So maybe they saw something there that they can turn around. Um, they claim years of experience with some some very big names in terms of who's on their who's on their team. So this, is, this looks to be the biggest name in their portfolio in terms of like um, recognition. Uh, but. See something there, I guess. Speaking I, of names in the in the portfolio, did you? I don't know if it's as recognizable or as big a name as Fuzzy's Taco. <laughs> yeah, but apparently they own an interest in a place called Fuzzy's Taco. I googled Shop. it to see if there's one around here, but no <laughs> dice. No, we'll have to stick with Chewy's. I hope that 
NRD Capital is better at the restaurant business than who's the private equity firm that pushed uh, Sally Smith out at Buffalo Wild oh, Wings, uh, or didn't yeah. push her out? But Mar- Mercado was it Mercado? Yeah. yeah, they're the ones who said, oh, we're going to get some seats on the board," and that's where Sally Smith said, "Thank you, I, I'm going to take my curtain call and walk out." And sent, and that was June. That was mm-hmm. the first week of June. The stock's down thirty percent since yeah. then. So, yeah. well, that, that again, like it's not all Ruby Tuesday's fault that their stock is down. It's a, the sector as a whole has been has been hurt Absol- yeah, quite no broadly. Question. Absolutely. Although I always remember uh, our colleague Chris Harris's line about Ruby Tuesday, which was so the movie theater that's a, just a few blocks from the Motley Fool. If you're facing the front of the movie theater, on the right hand side is a Ruby Tuesdays. On the left hand side is some. Some local nondescript Tex-Mex place, and uh, his line, Chris's line was, "Yeah, so when we go to the movie theater, there's uh, there's Ruby Tuesdays, and then there's this Tex-Mex place where the food isn't particularly good, the drinks are kind of watered down, and the service is kind of bad, and we always go to that place. Wow. We always go to the Tex-Mex place because it's still damning. still better than not Ruby a fan Tuesday. of the salad bar, I guess. I guess not." Shares of Nordstrom are down 6% this morning. Wall Street Journal reporting the Nordstrom family has suspended plans to take the company private until after the holiday season. I guess they're trying to raise the money, Taylor, mm-hmm. to to do a leverage buyout. and The banks aren't having it. I guess they're not. No. <laughs> so I thought we lived in the era of cheap money. Uh, everywhere else, apparently, other than retail, because... They they just couldn't get it, and you look at uh, probably needing to raise between seven to nine billion dollars, depending on the final valuation. And uh, banks were nervous that they wouldn't be able to get themselves out of this debt, selling it off into the market before the holiday season, and bankers might take some time off. So they didn't want to be strapped with that coming out of the holiday season. Potentially, if it weak sales, then who's gonna who's gonna buy that debt off their off their books? So they'd be stuck with that, and especially. Coming from one of the stronger names in the retail business, uh, it kind of caught me by surprise that they weren't able to find rates that they thought were worthwhile to raise that much money. So, um, you've seen some big retailers come under fire, overly burdened with debt. Toys R Us being one of the most recent ones with $5 billion in leverage buyout debt. So, am I wrong, or does this immediately vault Nordstrom to number one on the list of retailers that really need to have a great holiday season? Because just gaming this out from here, if they do have some sort of amazing blowout Mm -hmm. holiday season, then potentially... They might get better rates, but they might have to pay a higher price. So, um, either way, they're the... They might get the company that they're looking for because the family wants to buy the remaining seven, 69 to seventy percent that they don't already own, um, and take it completely private and back to a family-run business. Yeah, but I don't even think that's the solution, right? I mean, I think that's probably the most difficult part of all of this. Is it's sort of that damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you perform well, you're going to have to pay more. You yep. perform poorly, well, you've got a crappy business. <laughs> you and, might not be able to buy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's. I, I kind of feel like you. You see, with a lot of these retailers, what we've seen over the past probably five years, I'll just I'll pick Macy's out of out of the lineup because mm-hmm. it's fairly easy. Um, you go through the calls and you see where they sort of lay out these three point or five point sort of strategies. And this is what's going to turn things around, and you know we're we're investing in the customer experience and omni-channel and all sorts of buzzwords and phrases that make you think, all right, these guys are on the ball and they really recognize the problem. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think in most cases that's just kind of lip service, and I think that's you know it's played out more or less for Macy's uh, up to this point. And for Nordstrom, I don't know 
I don't know that there really is an answer. I mean, it's we talk a lot about retail and how retail is is witnessing so many challenges and headwinds, but it's not because retail's in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's just because the landscape is shifting so quickly. And I mean, I, I we always talk about Amazon, but it's because Amazon made so many of those bets early on in this sort of change. Um, and now we're seeing those bets pay off. So there are a million and one other retailers out there trying to play catch up. It's just a lot harder than perhaps it looks. And Amazon had that expertise. They weren't forcing things. These companies are now, like you said, playing catch up and really having to dump a ton of money into things that they're not very well attuned to doing. Um, and management, they might not have the might not have the personnel in place. So you're just looking at a situation where um, catch up and forcing things or spending money and, and margins are down about 50% in the last seven years because they're having to spend all this money. Sales are up, but margins margins falling by 50% since 2010 at Nordstrom's. So, last weekend on Motley Fool Money, our guest was Peter Galloway. He's a professor from the New York uh, University Stern School of Business, and he's mm-hmm. just written a book called The Four, and it's about Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. And one of the... and Galloway got some attention earlier this year because he predicted that Amazon would buy Whole Foods, mm-hmm. and then it actually happened. Now, he's also made other predictions. By his own admission, he's made other predictions that have not really worked <laughs> out quite as well. But one of the things we talked about was his belief that in the wake of Amazon buying Whole Foods, he, he said Nordstrom is next. He said Amazon is going to buy... He sort of laid out the case for Amazon buying Nordstrom, and I think that based on this report this morning, unless they have some sort of monster quarter, then that ratchets up the likelihood that that actually happens. Yeah, they wouldn't need to tap the debt markets to to fork over another seven to ten billion dollars. Yeah, and it would I mean, it would cost Amazon less than what they shelled out for Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know why exactly they would need to, though. I mean, they, you sit there and marginalize seven to nine billion dollars. It's still a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I mean, they they paid a a handsome sum for Whole Foods, and I think there are probably still some questions about that. Um, so, I mean, it, it, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But by the same token, I, I could think of probably better bets out there for Amazon to make because I mean, the business is really trying to make that. Sort of leap from just being an e-commerce business to being, you know, the everything business, kind mm-hmm. of like the book was titled. All right. Before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to 23andMe.com for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. 23andMe.com is a genetic service that can help you discover where your DNA comes from around the world. You can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland. East Africa, uh, excuse me, East Asia and Africa. I'm also thinking Iceland. Just I'm, I'm thinking in the wake of our recent conversations about the World Cup and the, the Men's World Cup and how the U.S. isn't going. And I like that Iceland has just sort of made this push to soccer fans in the U.S. Like, hey, jump on board with Team Iceland. You can be a fan of our team. That's funny. Uh, and hey, if your DNA comes from there, all the more reason to. With your 23andMe reports, you can explore your connection to the world in a whole new way by traveling to the places that reflect your DNA. Visit 23andMe.com slash fool. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. What will be your DNA destination? Spotify is gearing up for an IPO, but it may not actually be an IPO in the way that we traditionally think of them. They're thinking about what are they thinking about, Jason? Well, I mean, they're thinking about going public. I mean, first and foremost, and they're trying to figure out the best way to do it. And, and every 
every IPO we've seen that we've discussed, I mean, it's just a traditional IPO that goes through the the process of, of finding underwriters, going through the roadshow, presenting their case, and then going public after the underwriters sort of set that price and get the ball rolling. And I think Spotify is looking at a direct listing option here, which is essentially an IPO without having to deal with some of that red tape. Um, I mean, I think the, the simplest way to probably liken it, it's not perfect, but it's sort of like someone selling a home and either using a real estate agent to do it or selling um, it themselves. And it's just to say that this would give Spotify the chance to go in there and go public, raise money, sell shares directly to investors without dealing with the underwriting and all of the red tape that goes with it. Whether that's the the better option or not, it's anybody's guess. But I think that when you look at sort of the the numbers behind the IPO and the valuation that they're talking they about, feel, do they still file an S one? Uh, I, I would assume that they do. I mean, they, it's not, it doesn't uh, exempt them from filings. Now, I'm not certain of the process or when that stuff has to be filed. Um, but there definitely has to be some sort of documentation that presents the business and uh, and the risks associated with it. Um, but with all of that said, I mean the the thing to me, and we were talking about this last week, was the valuation that this thing may garner, and in somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty billion dollars for a business that is still immensely unprofitable. And we have some examples out there of sort of how this market works. I mean, Pandora being the number one example, because that's sort of the pure play music streaming business that got all of this started. And so, I just don't see what Spotify has <coughs> that that is so much different than, than Pandora. I mean, they have more subscribers. They have seemingly a little bit of a better business model. And I think they were good in sort of evolving their platform in that on-demand content, whereas Pandora now is sort of playing catch-up. They also do podcasts, whereas Pandora doesn't really do that. And I, But I think Pandora is even getting into that, too, right? It's Again, I think they're now Pandora, which was the first in the space, and I mean, I think that's the problem, is they're now playing catch-up in a lot of cases. Um, and so, the market values that stock accordingly. Pandora sells for somewhere in the neighborhood about one-time sales. Now, if Spotify With goes, a market cap of just under two billion dollars. So while right. Spotify is looking for twenty, Pandora is at two. And exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking at if you're looking at the valuation there with Spotify, you would get some sort of premium in the neighborhood of six times sales. That just seems to be a big disparity. I'm not sure that it's necessarily worth it when you consider all of the other music streaming options that are out there today. If you're if you're an Apple user, you probably have Apple Music, or perhaps if you have Amazon Prime, and then that Prime Music thing sets you free. And so there's just a lot of options out there in a market where I just don't think there's a whole heck of a lot of of a competitive advantage. But this IPO will garner a lot of attention if they do go public because it's a hot internet property. A lot of people use it. A lot of people know it. And the market, just generally speaking, is very thirsty for IPOs today. Uh, speaking of uh, music, uh, I don't do a lot of live music. I, I just don't go to a lot of live music, and for whatever reason, I ended up at two different live music events this weekend. <laughs> one at Hamilton, both great venues. One at Hamilton Live in DC, and the other at the brand new place on the waterfront, the Anthem. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, if the Anthem were a stock, I would absolutely buy it because it is a tremendous venue. The uh, Foo Fighters opened there last mm-hmm. Thursday night to a packed crowd, about nine thousand people. And uh, just that whole waterfront area—you got to get down there at some point. I'm it's, super excited. Yeah, about that. it's really—it's uh, developed in a very nice way, and it's—it's it's not done. There's still going to be more development mm-hmm. there over the next few years. But uh, one thing I did notice, and I need to mention this to our friend Jeff Fisher, there was so the the line for the to get into the anthem actually goes down you're outside the building, so you're along the waterfront. 
And so the line extended past one of the brand new restaurants that opened up there, and it's a Shake Shack. And here, here's what I noticed. The line was out the door at Shake Shack, which was not really all that surprising. Uh, what was a little surprising was the line appeared to be moving very quickly. <laughs> and, and I think that for you know, anytime we talk, I mean, I don't know about you, but any sort of new restaurant you go to, it's always like, well, don't go there right when they open because they got to work the kinks out. And that mm-hmm. kind of, they appear to be in mid-season form, as we say. They were they were moving along nicely, and that's that could be a a high volume area for that one particular Shake Shack. So throughput, never underestimate yes. the value and just. Strong and improving th- throughput, and, and I mean, we saw Chipotle for the longest time. I mean, call in and call out, they would tap that the four pillars and the ways that they just kept on making it better, and it kept on getting better and better until it didn't. And man, oh man, when that thing <laughs> fell, it sank like a stone, didn't it? It really did. Uh, um, and and uh, yeah, it just it just shows what a what a romantic devil I am that I was uh, standing in line with my wife to go to this <laughs> you know concert together. And uh, I look over, and I'm thinking about throughput. I'm like, sure. boy, the throughput of that Shake Shack is amazing, isn't it? And no, what, what did I, you say? No, I meant custard. You want some custard? <laughs> I just kept, I didn't, yeah, that all stayed inside my head. Didn't. None of that came out of my mouth. Nerd. Who'd you see? Uh, Trombone Shorty. Okay. Puts on an amazing yeah. tr- uh, stage name. Uh, yeah, his parents did not name him Trombone. <laughs> uh, Troy Andrews is the guy's name, and he mm-hmm. puts on an amazing show. And, uh, yeah, can't... Uh, uh, one of my brothers had seen him live earlier this year and said, just beyond the music itself, he's a tremendous showman, tr- tremendous performer, and he was, did not disappoint. It was uh, it was great. Cool. Taylor Markerman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Yes, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>